Hi, this is Jason, lead pastor at Casper Alliance Church in Casper, Wyoming. We meet at 2000 Casper Street, 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com or you can download our app. Just go to your app store on your smart device, search for Casper Alliance Church, look for the double C's, download and connect with us there. We're continuing in our series on the book of Ephesians. Hope you enjoy. Have a great week. Thanks for supporting us. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and I learned a thing from, uh, I have a ministry coach who helps me be better at ministry. I know some of you are like, that's shocking because I feel like you arrived and you've got it all figured out. Uh, there are things in that we all need coaching with and help with. And so I have, I have a, a guy who's a pastor, who's been a pastor, a church planter. Um, some of you know him, but he helps me work on, on things that I feel like I need to get better at and, and I'm struggling with. And he taught me something and coaches aren't necessarily supposed to teach all the time. So let you arrive at your own experience and conclusions. He taught me something. This is a phrase that he taught me. And it's something that I've like kind of stamped in my life. Nobody cares. And I'm like, you're right. Nobody cares about how I structure a sermon series. Nobody cares where we're at the next week. Nobody cares the things that are kind of going on my, in my brain that I give a, the point is I give all this attention and energy and focus to like, to things that really people don't care about. People care in a church about, is there coffee? Is the heat on? Is there somewhere for me to sit? Do I know the words to the song? Does the message have something that's meaningful for me today? There is a list of things that everyone in this room cares about. But there are a a number of things that I end up caring about that nobody cares about. And, And when that happens, and I give more attention to the things that I care about, that really shouldn't matter, it's easy to not, to get out of rhythm and lose track of direction and vision and values and discipleship and all the different strategies because I'm so hyper-focused on these things that like nobody cares. Does anybody know what chapter in Ephesians we're in? Four, did I just say that? If I didn't say that, would you have known? Some of you, some of you are like, I don't care. Just preach, whatever. (laughs) So when I'm going, this is one of the things that I care about. I plan. So next year, (laughs) I have mapped out for preaching. And the reason I do that is so I can give attention to like the tyranny of the urgent in my week. I, people, coffee, meals, other meetings, whatever comes up, I don't want to have to figure out what's coming up this next. What do I got? What message do I got to come up with this coming Sunday? I don't need to do any Saturday night specials, although I spend a lot of Saturday day working on making sure that I have things. But I map out the entire year, and what I've learned is nobody cares about my map. People care that I'm here, and people care that I preach. People care that I'm accurate. (laughs) 
but nobody cares like that we're, we're going to spend eight weeks talking about spiritual disciplines in January and February. And then we're going to go through Mark all the way up until July. And then we're going to spend the rest of the summer going through Hosea. And then next fall, we're going to do James. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that I have all that outlined. And here's what happens. When I go to like map out my sermon series, I'm all focused and there's a spreadsheet. I mean, I don't think it's a spreadsheet. It might be a spreadsheet that has it in there. It has special events. I mean, we, it's all wrapped. So I get to Ephesians 4. I see my text. I know it. I've already done some work on it. I take these couple of weeks a year to study to make sure I have these kind of outlined and maybe a big idea or two or some sort of like, here's where I want to go with this or here's what I think, right? Then I get into it. I'm like, holy smokes. Today's Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. 16 verses in Ephesians 4. Let me read it to you. And then I'm going to tell you why I'm not going to care today like I should care <laughs> or like my schedule says. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 says this. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is all the one who has ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints and to, work, to the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. This section, the 16 verses, is important. It's important to me and it's been important to my, framing, my framework and a foundation as a pastor. It's been important as part of my discipleship and growing. It include, it, I don't like Greek and I don't care to like teach you Greek. And some of you are like, teach me the Greek. And I'm like, you can go look up the Greek. The Greek is easy to find. There's, there's this thing, I, I heard this comedian say, I was born in the 1900s. I was born before internet. There's an internet that you can use to go look up the Greek. It's out there. But my favorite Greek word is in this section. I love the word. I love the word so much that my first youth room in ministry, I named it. I called it this Greek word cafe. 
That'd been a better name, by the way. This Greek word cafe, that anybody could insert their own Greek word and say, hey, that's cool. My favorite Greek word is teleos. Teleos cafe is what we called it at the Bridge Community Church in Troy, Michigan. It's where the youth hung out. It's still called teleos cafe to this day. Teleos is such a fun word, but it comes at the end. It's in uh, verse 13. Now here's the deal. You remember I was saying nobody cares? I care so much that I'm trying to go through 16 verses. 16 verses today. And this morning I said, nope, we don't need to do that. Nobody cares if we have a Christmas series. So I've made the executive decision that we're going to be in Ephesians through December. (laughs) Because I want to take time through this chapter, chapter four. I believe that I believe that we are going we are gonna celebrate Christmas, by the way, here at this church, like super Christmas. It's gonna be Christmas on um, performance enhancing drugs. It'll be lights, liberty, and the pursuit of Christmas. We are going to sing Christmas carols. We are going to have candles. We are going to be Christmassy in Christmas way. And every Sunday when you come to this church, you're going to go, this church loves Christmas. And we are going to say, because here's the deal. I believe this 92% of people who are invited. If you wanted to invite somebody to church ever, Christmas is the time to invite somebody to church. People want to celebrate Christmas. So we are going to celebrate Christmas. They're going to hear Ephesians. So I'm thinking the armor of God will be during (laughs) Christmas. It'll be fine. (laughs) Because I think it's important to spend some time here and just think on this text for a little bit longer. Because it's about the church. This is about us. So I'm going to give myself a time limit. And then I'm just going to hit the eject button on Sundays for the next few weeks and we're going to sit in this chapter for a bit because nobody cares and I believe that Christmas uh, will be fine regardless of um, the main message on those Sunday mornings verse 1 of chapter 4 is the transition from Here's who you are to here's how you live. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Paul had spent three chapters saying that that, uh, you were purchased, that you were predestined, that you were, that uh, before the beginning of time, God has brought you into relationship, that it's neither for you only or the Gentile only, but now we have unity together. We are one church, one body. So therefore, if you're going to be one people, live out this calling, live it out, not just do it, but do it in a way that's worthy. Live it so that, and Have you ever met somebody that's like super honorable? You know who's not known for being honorable? Sorry, Rick. Plumbers. But I think they might be. (laughs) But it's it's, it's the mechanics or electricians, plumbers, you kind of have this like, ooh, how much are they going to get me for? And like, so um, we got, I'll just, this is a funny story maybe for some of you. 
because it makes fun of me. You know which company I will stand by all the time? Rocky Mountain Electric. They are the best. Rocky Mountain Electric is so good. So I don't, I don't know if they listen, but this guy, Corey, at Rocky Mountain Electric has been in our house a number of times, fixing a handful of things, getting things rewired. And so we, at one point, has anybody ever hung a ceiling fan? Has anybody ever done it and stayed married? <laughs> good, good for you. I'm still married, but it was, there was a wise decision that was made when we got a new ceiling fan. We were like, because here's the deal. Um, there's a person that's not going to have her name said that almost was killed by our ceiling fan because it fell from, the, from the, our master bedroom. If she would have been in bed while it happened, like, it would have been a painful experience. It, and this is, uh, it, it just, so we had to get a ceiling fan replaced. And, and we were like, all right. So we went, she went and picked out one. We'd like kind of like, yeah, I love that one. That's cool. And I'm like, you know what? Let's get this done right. We're not going to do it. So we call our favorite electric company here. And I'm not sponsored, by the way. And it said, would you come install the ceiling fan? And they're like, yeah, we've been in your house a bunch. And, and so they came and they installed the ceiling fan, and it was great, and we loved it. And then, and then like a short time later, it was like the lights stopped working the way in which they were supposed to work. And it was like, okay, we got to get to it. We got to get to it. But, you know, it's like, oh, it's fine. The fan still works. We know it's have power. And so, like, so, you know, there was like, let's, maybe it's a part that's broken. So the, we went, I'm not, I shouldn't say we. Um, there's a person in my house that went and, will not be named because I don't, want to, I don't want to say that person's name. You can guess the gender. And <laughs> went and got new parts, tried to figure it out, new light bulbs, like all of the different, like what can a human do to troubleshoot this issue? And we worked at it and we chose one Saturday, we're going to do it. And we're like, we're going to try to take this part. And like, you know, ceiling fans are, you know, this one's heavy. And like, we're taking parts off of it. And it was just hard. And like that pin that's in there, like came out. And then nothing would stuff back up in there. The point is, is we didn't fix it. So eventually I had to call, I called Rocky Mountain Electric. And I was like, hey, listen, here's the deal. The ceiling fan you guys installed, you know, it worked and then it stopped and like it kind of works intermittently, but the fan's always working, but the lights, the lights are, the lights are, and I'm like, the guy's like on the phone, he's like, hey, is it a dimmer switch? I'm like, no, it's not a dimmer switch. It's not. We've tried that. It's not. And it's not a dimmer switch on the wall. He's like, all right. And like, I just want to get us on the schedule. And so then they randomly call one day and they're like, and I like had move meetings around. We had a meeting in our house and Rocky Mountain Electric shows up and they send Corey, who's been in our house a bunch of times. And he, I go upstairs with him and I show him. He's like, this is a dimmer switch. I'm like, it's not a dimmer switch. He goes, watch. And I'm like, get out of my house. And here's what he says. He fixed it. Like he didn't have to do anything. He just showed me how to use the dumb remote. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not joking. This is not even an exaggeration. We've tried it. I've watched my bride stand there and like, like get, like want to throw the remote at the fan and be like, this is ridiculous. He's just like, here, here's how it works. I'm like, oh my goodness. And this is what he says to me. And this is the whole point of this long, drawn out story. He goes, guess what, Jason? And he knows me by name because he's been in the house. 
I'm not going to charge you today. <laughs> and he walks out and he's, so he just like, <laughs> but I, there was a second where I was nervous that he was going to give me that $80 bill for just showing up. But, and I don't know if they're believers there. I have no idea. But that's what it's like to live in a manner worthy of your calling. And you can do that in virtually every profession. It doesn't matter if you're an electrician or you're a pet groomer or you're, a, or you're just whatever you do. You can live that out. You can live all of the principles that you know God has bestowed on you and said this is how you live a virtuous life. And you can carry that out in every activity that you do. So when you walk away, people go, man, that's incredible. That, Corey didn't charge me 80 bucks, which he could have. You know, a plumber would have. <laughs> plumber would have. That was all to make fun of Rick. I did that whole story just to make Rick feel weird for a second. But, li <laughs> but living out a manner worthy of the calling, this is what Paul is saying to, the, to this church. He's like, you're all unique. You're all different. You're all from new locations. You're all trying to build this new organization. And you need to live out how you've been called. And they're like, I, they're looking at him and going, they're going, Paul, you're in prison. You have no authority in my life. And he's like, he's like, do it. Live the manner. And then the next question should be this. How? Well, it's funny you ask. Let me tell you. Verse two. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Personal, this is like, here's a very specific personal thing that you can work on that's going to create in your life the actual practical living out a manner worthy of your calling. I'm going to approach my life with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity requires, and this is not just for, this is not, when you do these things, you live a life that is totally worthy. And then when you collect a bunch of people into an organization and they're all doing the very thing, that is incredibly attractive to a world that is in chaos. And this is not even just a 21st century, the world that's in chaos in the first century when this little organization, the church, started. It's a, why do you think that the church exploded in growth in the first century? This is what was happening. Jews and Arabs worshiping together the one true God, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ, living out this truth in the way in which they interacted with one another, their communities, their leadership, whatever it was, they lived with humility and gentleness and patience and, and bearing with one another. See, we aren't designed in our own humanness to do those sort of things. That's transformative type of stuff. My natural instinct is in humble or gentle or meek. I don't necessarily want to be with peace with one another. I want to get what's mine. I deserve what I worked for. That's what our, our instinct isn't 
to be, to live out this way that is it's different than the world. And Paul's saying, in order for you to have unity, you gotta be different. And the transforming power of Jesus Christ is how it happens. I'm gonna use a scary word. We don't create unity. This is a scary word. It's scary for me. And I, I tried to figure out a way not to say this word because it, it's loaded. And some of you who've been in the, uh, the Pentecostal realm of the world, this word has been abused. You manifest unity. You don't create it. It happens by living these things out. That's manifesting. It's not like, um, it's not like we're conjuring up or casting a spell. <laughs> I create Unity, that's not how it works. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is birthed out of God's people who are living out this calling, worthy, that are, are living a life of humility, gentleness, bearing with one another. We will never, ever unite as church people. I'm talking not just us, but we are, we are part of this. We'll never unite on style of music. We'll never unite on what type of programs we should have. We'll never unite on what type of building or buildings or what we should even do to the building. We'll never even unite on methodology on how to carry out ministry. We all have different opinions on what's the most appropriate uh, thing to do when it comes to ministering to our community. We will never be in full agreement on those things and that's okay. Because if we truly live out this calling on us, this worthy calling, we live out our Christian life with gentleness, humility, bearing with one another, in meekness, preserving the bond of peace in the spirit of God. And when we have unity that way, we are unified in mission and we are unified in calling. The tactics, we, it's fun to argue about those. You know, and frankly, in this church, we don't have a lot of disagreement. We don't have a lot of argument. We don't have a lot of, um, like, conflict. We just don't. Now, there's some things that maybe some of you are a little, like, um, what's the word I should say? Uh, ignorant on, purposely, so you don't have to be accountable to things. That's not a judgment. That's self-preservation. I don't want to know, and don't tell me. Because if I do know then I'm going to have to do something about it. That's normal. And I'm not even upset about any of that. Like, really, I'm not. I've been around church for 20 years. The way in which you do youth ministry in 2003 looks way different than 2023. In 2003, you could whip people with wet towels and nobody's parents would ever call. You could slam a kid's head in a van door. Boom, boom, boom. Why do I know you can do that? Because I still have a job. I don't know if that's a confession or what, but I do know a kid tried to jump out of a van when I was a first youth pastor, and I slammed on the brakes, and his head went boom, 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 with one of those doors that kind of slammed. It was before they had brakes on those doors. You know, it was like a 1997 Dodge Caravan. We do ministry different. Things are different. Songs are different. Buildings are different. Leadership looks different. The tactics look different. Unity should never be something that we don't care about.
And unity is not derived from our effort. It's from spiritual transformation. And spiritual transformation, this is why Paul uses these words, humility can only come when somebody surrenders to Jesus of, of, of humans. But these characteristics in our life, these ways in which we live, produce unity around us. They create uh, a, they create a community with a desire to see Jesus made the hero, the main character, not the person. That's what these characteristics do. So humility, humility isn't to see yourself as some pitiful little creature, the smeagol of the world. That's not humility. It's not some low lie for, or someone who doesn't have any sort of like emo, and like she's like, I'm so bad. It's not even self-deprecating, which that's not humility. It's to see yourself as God sees you. Amen. It's to place yourself under the lordship of Christ. That generates Humility. Now, some of you have to be bosses and managers and be the, you know, the person who makes the decision. And, and all of us parents have to be that. So we're like, we have to have authority over some people in our lives, some children. I'll tell you this. When I'm, when I'm tuned into the spirit of God, I'm a way better disciplinarian at home than I am when I'm not. And that's because I see myself how God sees me. And I place myself under the authority of God. So my desire in disciplining my child is not built in some sort of vengeance or I'm going to get, I'm going to prove to you, which I've done both sides. It's I love you so very much that I'm going to discipline you because you need to understand that this is not a way in which you can live and be successful, but I'm disciplining you out of love and of care and True discipline that's set up that way will create a unified family. Kids know when you're disciplining them out of rage and anger or frustration. And it might start when you throw a shoe at them. Anybody thrown a shoe at their kid before? You have. Don't even pretend. Like, there you go. Just choose tennis shoes, not steel tips. But unity is can be built in a family unit by how you discipline because it's seen and or even how you say words to your adult children. Unity can happen from humbleness, gentleness, meekness. It really it literally means power under control. God's not asking, asking us to be weak people. He's asking us to be his people under control. The end of this text, this first 16 verses, <clears throat> verse 16 says, then we will no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching and human cunning and cleverness and techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head of 
Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. This whole growth and building up, the speaking the truth in love, it takes a powerful conversation. It doesn't take, you know, I'm not going to say what really needs to be said. It, it, it doesn't take, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, it's way easier sometimes to just blast off and go, blah, 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 than it is to have this, uh, this uh, reserved, gentle power under control to speak truth in love. There's a, I don't know his name, but I, I, it was a parenting seminar I watched a long time ago. It was like probably 10 years ago. He said, when you're giving your kid a lecture, and really, you know, putting them on them, right? You got all your points, you got all your words, you're not saying um, and you're just stringing sentences together. Their instinct isn't like, oh yes, Father, I totally want to, I totally want to obey and follow everything you're saying right now. They're not thinking, oh, thank you for this wonderful soliloquy. I'm so great you strung all your points together. They are going, I can't stand the words that you're saying, and if I could hit you, I would. We don't respond as people, to somebody that's like <laughs> over us. But we do respond. And God's asking us to treat each other in gentleness and in meekness. It's power under control because transformative people transform, help transform others by the Spirit of God. Amen. And that doesn't come through these violent lectures. I mean, I've tied a few together in my lifetime. You've listened to me preach. Imagine an angry version of this towards a kid who disappointed you. You can imagine what that could sound like. Here's the one that's very difficult. Patience. Patience is believing God's timetable is good no matter what. Yikes. That's hard. Because we're a hurry-up society, we're a hurry-up culture, we're a hurry-up world. Let me take a beat on that before I respond. Oh, Lord, give me patience, but do it right now. Somebody in this church who's married to a plumber. I'm not going to tell you who that is or her gender said, never pray for patience for me. And I think she stands by that, mostly because she's probably married to a plumber. And they get work done on their timetable, let's remember. But it's hard when you're like, oh, I don't want to be tried. I don't want to go through tribulation. I don't want things to be tough. I don't want things to be hard. Patience is recognizing that the outcome that you desire and want might not be in the cards. Can you continue to follow Jesus in, the, in a way that's worthy of your calling, knowing that his timetable is good and his outcomes are good? It might cause you to not have the greatest life on the world. It might cause you to be miserable on this side of eternity. It might, not, it might cause you to not have the greatest job that you want or the right size of bank account or the right relationships or even whatever it is. Patience is believing that God's timetable, his outcomes are better than what you can come up with.
When we do that with one another, when we have patience with one another, man, could you imagine all the conflict that would be solved if we just took some pause, entered into a state of humility, understood our place before the Lord, entered into a conversation of meekness to where our power is under control. We're not wielding our authority. And we said, we trust, or I say, I trust that God's timetable, his outcomes are better than what I can come up with. And that it's not about my convenience or my comfortability or my success. It's about God being the main character. All of these attributes are about making you the main character of the story when they're taken to the opposite. When you don't show humility or I don't show humility or gentleness or I don't show gentleness or you want to be the one who's the main character. Let's make Jesus the main character. Last little trait here, forbearance in love, the willingness to put up with someone. (laughs) Again, anybody who's been married over 15 years knows what this looks like to tolerate somebody (laughs) because you love them. (laughs) Susan's up here laughing. Oh my goodness. I'm committed to loving and and we will go through thick or thin because I want to be a benefit to you. That's what forbearing with one another is. I am going to be a benefit to you the best I can. And we all know when we fail that and we all know when we're good at it. But the reality is when we bear with one another in love. We are tolerating one another because we love one another. That's not just marriage, that's all relationships. Can you, so here's what I wanna do, and then we're gonna, I'm gonna have the worship team come up. Actually, the worship team can come up, and I'm gonna flip this. Because I do think sometimes, uh, you know, we put on these, we put, like, we're, like, achieving. Like, I'm going to achieve humility. I'm going to achieve meekness. I'm going to achieve patience. I'm going to achieve. Uh, and I want to start because the, next, the rest of it is, like, this next little section, which we're going to talk about next week, is corporate unity, which, again, is talking about how does the church come together in unity, not just relationally. But let's start at the backside of this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's the charge. That's the charge. Make every effort to keep the unity with one another through the spirit because the bond of peace, we have this bond together. We have a shalom together. By bearing with one another in love. Can you look around the room, not just to your spouse or to your kid or to some of your, like a, a sibling or, or like to some of your tight with to, um, and go, I love you. And I'm going to, I'm going to bear any sort of conflict or any sort of burden. I genuinely love you. One of the values of our church is without meaningful relationships, we're wrecked. This is the truth of that. 
I'm going to bear with you in love because I genuinely love you. And I'm going to go through thick or thin with you. This isn't romantic love. This is agape, God-given love. I love you so deeply that regardless of our situation, I will stand with you to promote unity. That, so when I flip these and go the other direction, I do think that love matters so much that if we don't love one another... We can't even get to a place to where we have humbleness or meekness or even begin to speak the truth to each other because we don't really care about one another. The other ones are kind of self-inflicted. But when I can look at you and go, I love you and I care about your life and I care about where you're going and I care about all the things in you, it changes the relationship. It's not... A feminine act, men, to say I love you. You can be super manly and tough and go, I care so deeply about you. I love you. I make fun of Rick because I love Rick Walker. I tolerate Steve Stumbo. <laughs> I tolerate Steve talking to me every Sunday morning while I'm talking. When he's trying to be the main character and I'm the main character, I love him so much that I tolerate that. It's important to me. Joe is one of the only people that will disagree with me at a board meeting. I love Joe Scott. I love you people. I don't know all of you deeply, but that's important. And that's just this church experience. To where no matter what happens, I will fight with you, which is our vision statement, fighting forward together. But it starts with loving one another. And if we can't love one another, the other little traits and attributes never happen because you're not invested or committed or even willing to consider how you're behaving. So when you can say, I love you, all of a sudden you go, you know what? I'm gonna bear with you through this. And I'm going to put on patience because I'm going I'm to be patient with what you're saying to me. I'm going to be patient with how we're making decisions. I'm going to be patient with things, whatever those are. And all of a sudden, you know what? I don't have to use my words. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to allow you to speak. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to lead with my power and my authority. I'm going to hear you. Because what? I love you. And I'm patient and you know what the result of that is? Somebody goes, wow, this is a group of people who are super humble before the Lord. Again, it starts, and this is way, the way the chapter progresses, by the way, that we can speak the truth and love to one another. When we love one another, these other traits or attributes or these uh, descriptions that, that say that we are living the life worthy of the calling that we have, it starts with, do we genuinely love one another? Because the other ones are way easier to put on when you care and you're deeply invested because you love. Okay, we're going to stand and sing, but I want to say this one last piece. You get up to the verse, to verse one, live a life worthy of the calling. Paul in prison says it, he writes it, he sends it out. 
In the 21st century, here's what I think Paul is saying, which I've said before in two other churches. Do not make the work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, a joke. Do not make it a joke. If you want to live as a follower of Jesus, live it as because you're worthy of what Jesus did. Because there's so many times when we take our faith and we put it on the shelf and we act out in ways that make what Jesus did a joke. And that's a harsh thing to say. And, but I, I think, I think, I know this. In my own life, when I behave sinfully or uh, and the anti-humility, anti-gentleness, anti-patient, I'm actually looking at the cross and going, I don't need that. I'm going to choose me. And I'm going to behave the way I want to behave. That's hard, but that's transformative work of the Spirit of God into his people. And that's what I think Paul is saying when he says, live the worthy that you've been called to. You love the Lord, live it out. Don't make all that Jesus did trivial or irrelevant or as I say, a joke. Make it real in your life. Every day that you walk, take it serious.